0: Welcome to Freedom of Species. We bring animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. We're broadcasting from 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are available via the 3CR and Freedom of Species websites. All podcasts are on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to 3CR. I'm Emma Townsend and joining us today in the studio is campaigner Andy Medic from the Animal Justice Party and occasional FOS member, when we can get him, (laughs) as he's so busy coordinating a summit on 1080 poison at the moment to be held in Melbourne under two weeks on the 25th of August. And by phone, we have Charlie Jackson-Martin from Sydney Fox and Dingo Rescue
1: I, Thanks so much for having us on the show.
0: Ah, oh, it's great. Thanks for joining us, Charlie. I know you. hope we can catch up with Andy as well.
2: <laughs> Hi, Charlie. How are you going?
0: Ah, uh, good. Thanks for uh, spending time with us today, Charlie. I know you're busy with the city to surf up in Sydney at the moment. We are. So I hope you guys can hear me.
1: Okay, we've actually we've finished. We've just finished the race, and we're um we're on the train on the way back. We obviously got our timing a bit out and. Um, but, um, we should still be able to, to have a chat and yeah, we had a a team running today, the six of us running in the city to surf, to raise funds for a new exercise area for our foxes and dingoes.
0: Excellent. You're not even huffing and puffing.
1: (laughs) Oh, look, we, we walked most, we did have some joggers in the jogging section. Our, our star of the team, Corey finished the race in, um, just over 69 minutes. Um, but the, the rest of us took us a couple of hours.
2: (laughs) How are the legs?
1: Oh, look, fairly fairly sore. I, I, I spend most of my time on my feet with the animals, but it's a bit different to, to 14Ks.
0: <laughs> okay, Charlie, we are talking about 1080 today, 1080 poison. So I might start with Andy. Actually, what is 1080? Let's get some basics.
2: Okay, yeah. so compound 1080 poison is, um, it, it uses its, its real name is sodium monofluoroacetate. It's a, uh, a synthetically produced poison that mimics in many ways the, the actual physical effects of naturally occurring fluoroacetates that occur in some plants like the poison pea in southwest Western Australia. But it has highly deadly capabilities and is in fact many hundreds of thousands of times stronger than that. Um, it's used in Australia primarily um, to uh, to poison both foxes um, and what they term as wild dogs it 's a euphemism in my opinion for for the term for, for dingoes
0: yeah, wild dogs kill well, uh, when you use 1080 it kills wild dogs dingoes, whatever you prefer to call them uh,
2: absolutely yeah. and, and that that 's a euphemism as i say that 's used on behalf of the different um, uh, groups that use it as well as as government because it, it provides this this picture that there's you know there's bands of roaming Saxons, for instance, out there in the bush that are, you know, taking down sheep and native animals and stuff like that. And, and it allows the, the public to feel at ease that, that this poison is being used to eradicate this so called pest from the environment when, in can fact, I, I, it's can, targeting dingoes. Yeah,
0: it, it is an interesting point, though, because I think people in the, in the city or the mainstream, we, we are, there is that psychology behind it. We do, you know, a lot of us don't let our dogs off the lead in the local park. So you make that connection and you think, well, wild dogs, of course, they're going to be destroying. You know be destructive in the environment, so mm. you you kind of don't even think about it, do you? and you think, well, of course, wild dogs are you know going to be causing a lot of damage so mm. well yeah, I was going to say I think that
1: that uh, researcher Fiona Proben Rapsy has a, a great sort of quote in this regard in terms of perhaps the difference between what is a dingo and what is a, a dingo hybrid or a wild dog and she says um, the dingo does not see her own offspring as the harbinger of her extinction. So if if dingoes are making choices and and hybridising in some cases, it doesn't necessarily make them any lesser dingoes. It it, it is a fact that, you know, nothing like a a Dachshund or a a Labrador is going to run around in the Australian bush and survive. And so Mm. when we talk about the kind of animals that we would call all of them dingoes that are surviving and thriving in the Australian bush and the Australian climate, these are animals that have adapted to, to meet that, those needs and fill those ecological niches and the animals that survive are going to be high content dingoes they're not going to be your average household dog
2: exactly
0: so, yeah so um, there are different species in that context
1: yeah but even if there is some amount of dog genes in there i don't think that that, that lessens the fact that these are still all dingoes um, you know because these are animals that are filling the same fulfilling the same ecological role and and a dingo doesn't differentiate between, yeah. a dingo doesn't look at yeah. one dingo and go, well, you have ninety percent dingo genetics, so you can't be a part of the pack. You know, yeah. it's, no. they're not making those same arbitrary distinctions or having these rigid binary categories of what is enough dingo to be worthwhile, or or whether what's the threshold. But when at the wild dog and we're going to kill you, and that's a dingo and we're going to conserve you, you know, there's. Yeah. Some very arbitrary lines drawn in the sand sometimes, unfortunately, about dingo's kin and, and, and relatives.
0: Yeah, and and the fact that you alluded to there, of which we've spoken about before on Freedom of Species, but the fact that they are the, even if they're not fully dingo, they're doing a really great job in the environment And killing them. We're taking away that wonderful um, role that they have as apex predator.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I do sometimes think that it is a bit unfortunate that for an animal you know obviously I'm someone who also rescues foxes so I do think it's unfortunate that an animal has to have an ecological value or some kind of arbitrary value that we can whittle down for its life to be worthwhile. I'm not disagreeing that dingoes definitely have a crucial role to play I just think that they should also be valued inherently that their lives are valuable irrespective.
2: Oh absolutely Charlie and this is something that you know, when when we look at these other species that have come here, that you know, that fall into this basket of so-called invasive species, animals like foxes. I mean, they didn't ask to come to Australia. No, of we not. we brought them here, so we have we have a moral obligation to those animals.
1: Absolutely, and I think that we also sometimes have this naive or very old-fashioned view of conservation, um, where we think that there is this ability to sort of. You know, turn the clock back or go in a time machine and and, and go back to this time of, of of decades past where there were none of these new introduced or novel species. And and realistically, that's not possible. You know, and we need to be starting to think about more compassionate forms of conservation where we can coexist with these animals and accept that. Ecology is about change and adaptation and that our environments are constantly changing and evolving and and animals are constantly changing and evolving alongside these animals as well. So, I mean, there's quite a bit of research now into the way that um, environments and animals are adapting to the presence of foxes, for example. They've been here for 185 years. It's not a new occurrence at this
0: point. (laughs) we're using it to kill off pest species. And we've touched on wild dogs, dingoes and foxes. But the, the reason why we're still using it is because it, it there's, there's a drive here from the sheep pastoral industry. And also you hit on, it's also been used in this climate that we have of there's an urgency to stop our Global highest rate of mammalian extinction. I mean, we've become known as you know, oh, our species are becoming extinct in a rapid, a rapid decline. So that kind of helps enable the continued use of anything to wage to, to stop that from There's, happening, doesn't it? And unfortunately, 1080 is being used f- for both,
1: mm, and there is a certain irony in the idea that we are using 1080 to try to conserve supposedly conserve native species when this is an indiscriminate poison this is a poison that has the ability to kill uh there was a tasmanian paper that the dpi put out a few years ago that showed uh 32 different target species that 1080 had the ability to 32 native species that were affected by um the use of 1080 bait so to kind of talk about it as a way of Conserving species, when we're seeing everything from, from quolls to lizards to birds of prey, consuming these baits as well as a target species and, and also through secondary baiting, so consuming the, the remains of an animal that's died um, from 1080 poisoning, um, it seems very counterintuitive. And I think that point that you touched on, I- I- that the the agricultural sector is actually what's often driving the use of this poison, is interesting because there are, for example, seven percent about 7.3, 7.4 million foxes in Australia. There are, you know, over uh, 130,000, sorry, over 130 million sheep. So Mm. it kind of pales in comparison if we're talking about introduced animals that cause damage to the environment. The livestock sector and land clearing and um, damage caused by agriculture and farming and through, yeah, through habitat loss and land clearing is, is... far greater
2: than what we're seeing from, from invasive or so-called invasive species. Absolutely, mate. I, I, I did. I was just saying to Emma before we came on air, I did an interview with the Weekly Times last week, which they published last week. It was a very short article, but at the very end of it, we, we had the President of the Victorian Farmers Federation coming on, and this becomes down to the agricultural sector, exactly what you're talking about, in that there's also um, a, a real propaganda message that they're pushing, that, that 1080 is not this deadly poison, that it is highly specific and targeted and only the target species are affected. And he even quoted in that article, he even said that it doesn't affect marsupials.
1: Well, well we just have an overwhelming body of science now, and I've certainly sat in meetings, and I'm sure you have too, and had had local land services or, or biosecurity tell me very much the same thing, but the research doesn't stack up. We, no. we know that there's you know multiple marsupials. And when you talk about one thing that often gets mentioned is that now they have um, like an injector. So when the animal pulls on the bait, the poison is injected when a certain amount of force is put on that meat, for example. But the fact is a quoll has a very similar body mass to a fox. So mm. a quoll pulling on that poison is still going to, on that bait, is still going to have that poison injected in exactly the same way that a feral cat or a fox would, for example so it 's just very very naive and, and it's just smokescreen to try and detract from the yeah the deadly nature and the indiscriminate nature of this poison
2: it's pseudoscience in a lot of ways isn't it
1: absolutely it's we often say that sometimes when you <laughs> when you have to have conversations about ten eighty poison with sometimes the agricultural sector and and unfortunately also you know Part of the government, I say it's like playing chess with a pigeon because you make a scientific logical argument <laughs> and they kick the pieces off the board. <laughs> you know, you, you you can't argue if you can't agree on on scientific facts.
0: We do use it everywhere. That's the thing. We use it in national parks and we use it in the pastoral industry. So it's it's pretty much blanket in Australia. Is that a correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly, unfortunately, in some states, we're dropping it from planes. If we're talking about indiscriminate poison, it feels like something from a science fiction novel where we're dropping a deadly poison that we know can affect humans and, you know, Dozens of other species, and we're throwing it out of planes. It's just—it's absurd.
2: Absolutely, that is something that has started to occur in Victoria. It's been something relatively new in terms. Of it's happened over the last few years, and but in particular in a national park area of Gippsland, there was an aerial baiting program last year, and it went into areas that were, by Parks Victoria's own admission, were inaccessible to human beings, except by actually you know cutting your own way through the bush. There were no paths, so. When, and there was nothing else said about that other than the, the fact that groups like ourselves, the AJP and a few others, tried to bring up the fact that, well, how we brought the question, how are you going to monitor what you're killing? You have no way and no plan to try and get into that area to see the effectiveness of what you've done, what animals have been killed, what animals have been killed by secondary contamination, including endangered species, And you have no way or means of getting in there to pick up any unused baits.
1: Uneaten baits, yeah, that are then seeping into the environment.
2: Exactly.
0: Um, One thing that is crucial to what we're chatting about, why we don't, we want to see 1080 banned, is the actual cruelty in the death itself, which, as I understand, can take two to four days for an animal to die. And if one thinks of, their beloved canine their dog pet dog or cat uh instead of you know if you had to humanely euthanize that animal would you choose a 2 to 4 day horrific death for them to you know exit i mean that's the the main reason even if you agree that populations or individuals need to be you know killed 1080 is a is a it's a torture tortureful way of, um, you know, of killing an animal.
2: Mm. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no ways or means of getting around that base argument.
0: It's the base argument that it's interesting because... This, Charlie, are you still there? Yep, yep, yeah, sorry, yeah, I am. That's all right. It's interesting because this campaign, uh, there's a lot of people that are against 1080. I mean, we're talking ecologists coming out, and you alluded to before, there's overwhelming... Um, science and evidence that it it doesn't actually work you know farmers are giving it away because they realize they're going to have to spend money next year doing the same thing you know baiting Um, it's not really managing populations instead it seems to be sustaining a population of unwanted pest species that they can kill next year or the year after or I've heard of farmers giving it away because their beloved companion accidentally um, dies from 1080, and they witness the the horror of that cruel death. So they I give certainly it away. don't
1: think anybody who's who's seen an animal go through that kind of suffering or pain would would wish it on their worst enemy. You know, I don't think that that's when someone's witnessed that, that that's something they would put even an animal that they they don't want through. I would hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we think about it, it's something that if you were to poison somebody's dog using 1080 bait deliberately, that would be a crime. That would be a crime under the Prevention of Animal Cruelty to Animals Act, and you'd be charged. Absolutely. Um, but mm. for some bizarre reason, we're allowed to kill all of these species, native and non-native, mm. in this horrific way.
0: When there and are somehow alternatives, that's, yeah,
1: yeah, and for some, and somehow that that's sort of exempt under the the
2: welfare codes, which is horrific. Mm. And and there's there's look there's, there's several regulations surrounding its use, which are supposedly being policed by the APVMA, you know, the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority, and yet they're not adhered to, ever. Mm. Uh, the, 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 the talk of being um, baits uh, not being used um, within X amount of metres of a waterway or X amount of metres of uh, a domestic dwelling, for instance, are continually flouted and there's no repercussions whatsoever because when you report these things, there's no follow-up, absolutely no follow-up. The regulations that are there, there's no body that is out there to enforce them.
1: I think the other issue is that it's almost impossible to enforce some of these regulations. When you're doing aerial baiting over large areas, for example, or when you are talking about secondary baiting, so an animal eating a bait, they've then got 12 or 16 hours to move to a different area, potentially regurgitate that bait somewhere else or die, and then other animals fall prey to secondary baiting. So even if you haven't agreed, for example, to have 1080 bait on your land and, and perhaps your neighbour has gone within the, the required distance away to put bait on their property, what's to say that an animal or fox isn't going to consume that bait, come over onto your property, regurgitate it, and then your dog subsequently eats that bait? It's... um. It's just it's a substance that because of that secondary baiting and that uh, ability for animals to eat it and move it is um it's just impossible to sort of ensure it's going to stay in one in one area.
2: Oh, I agree, mate, a hundred percent, and and that's also exacerbated by the fact that you know we we have such rapid urban expansion in Australia. Mm. So in, in areas that we might traditionally say, for instance, have seen foxes as being sort of like a semi-rural setting, at 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 most, you know. With housing development, we're seeing in in like in country towns that used to be separated from cities, for instance, the gaps between them are getting smaller and smaller. And housing estates are popping up in the spaces in between these areas. Yeah, and look, obviously that, then foxes are coming into greater contact. So the potential for that is, for them is much to be greater.
1: And look, to, to be honest, it's in, in Sydney we've had foxes in urban Sydney since the late 1800s. And there's we've had calls about urban foxes for the last 10 years. You know, mm. it's not a new... Phenomena. We've got foxes in Surrey Hills and Red Fern, and right in the inner suburbs, um, living side by side. And we've also, unfortunately, got the use of of bait in inner suburbs, in parks and things. So Lane mm. Cove at the moment is is starting a baiting program, and that's a residential, highly built up area that happens to back onto a national park, and they're baiting in there right now, and that's that's a stone's throw away from people's homes.
2: That's, that's just extraordinary, isn't it? When you consider that this is a in Australian ratings, I'm this is a Schedule poison 7 poison. poison. This is yeah. just mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, yeah. to think that that's, that's on people's doorstep and in people's backyard. And what's to say, again, that a bird doesn't pick up the dead corpse of a rat that's eaten some bait and drop it in your backyard where your kids play and your dog's playing. And, you know, it's not a far-flung thought to think that that poison could end up in your backyard. Mm. Um,
0: it's... um. Unfortunately, the threatened species commissioner, the ex-threatened species <laughs> commissioner, put a Facebook post, I think it was last year, that um, 1080 was as safe as a cup of tea or was it shampoo? Oh, God.
2: Yeah, no, I think it was a cup of tea, yeah. yeah, it's, uh...
0: Uh, Well, I'd it's, like to see him drink a cup of tea. Uh, <laughs>
2: it's it?
0: alarming. Yeah, and, but the thing is it was on that page. So as I said before, it's kind of like people think, well, you know, this needs to be done to protect our, conserve our threatened species, but also, well, you know, to deal with the wild dogs because they're being cruel to all the sheep, you know, and and, and you well,
1: know attacking people are sheep, also cruel so. to sheep, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, me- meanwhile, we have the World Health Organization saying that they would like to see the discontinuation of 1080 poison and that it is an issue for humans, um, and we're one of the few countries left in the in the world that use 1080 bait. Um, and it's it is a you know it's an illegal substance in, in much of the rest of the developed world.
2: Exactly, mate. I think at um, the last estimate, Australia and New Zealand combined use over ninety five percent of the world's production now.
1: Mm, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all.
0: Mm. Mm. Um, before you go, Charlie, because I know that we've only got you for a couple more minutes. Um, what are we further not considering here when it comes to individual? dingoes or foxes or other species that die from 1080 yeah well and i mean humans one, when it comes to compassion and and can people people one care big
1: issue it. that we're seeing and if we if we choose to kind of focus on on dingoes, is that every year around this time of year despite the fact that this is a time where this animal that's crucial to our ecology and a, and a vital part of our environment the dingo are breeding um and we do you know contrary to what sometimes governments would have us believe, we do have healthy populations of dingoes in a lot of Australia and and we should be striving to continue to look after those dingoes and instead, in the middle of breeding season, we're seeing widespread baiting and and calls every week about orphaned pups being found, you know, and having no no parents and and juveniles as well. And so this disruption of social structures and pack structure and fragmentation of a very important social structure within dingoes as well and then orphans having to come into care and into captivity um and in some states even like queensland for example even rescuing those orphans itself is actually illegal so dingoes are um you know occupy this strange position in terms of legislation or in some states and in some areas even they they're a protected species or a native and then in other places you have these blankets where they're considered pests. So in New South Wales, dingoes and wild dogs or dingo hybrids are treated indiscriminately as a declared pest species, Um, and so they don't have any protection. Luckily, at least in New South Wales, we are able to rescue those orphans, and um, and that's a big part of what we do at this time of year is is taking in animals that have sort of fallen victim to their parents having been killed, Um, the lucky ones that actually get found and not the ones that starve to death um, without family members or adult dingoes to provide for them. Mm. Um, it's that it's that flow-on effect to their families that I think also doesn't get taken into account. Um, and there's certainly no one saying this isn't a time when you can bait, if anything, at this time of year. Um, councils and um, uh, local land services are ramping up their baiting efforts coming into breeding season, which is really unfortunate.
0: So can you just go more into the flow on family effect there when it comes to the dingo pack structure? And and before you can continue, I guess it's also important to note that the, the dingo pups that make it to you or the dingoes that make it to you, the lucky ones, they may also be a consequence of their parents um, being caught in uh, traps as well yeah, for days yeah. on end i i hear like they yeah, just left so certainly and we've yeah. actually
1: had pups brought into us as well that have been caught in leg hold traps and and again depending state to state the legislation does vary but steel jaw traps whether they're padded or not padded the kind of trap that hangs onto an animal's leg and potentially traps them as you said for days um to the point where sometimes they'll gnaw off their own foot. These are still legal. you know. Um, sometimes they have to be padded in some states, but it doesn't detract from the fact that we're talking about hanging onto the limb of a wild animal um and in exposed to the weather for for a continual period of time, potentially to be attacked by other animals or to die of exposure or, or dehydration. So it's a it's a horrific system. Yeah. Um and then of course just widespread hunting. In Victoria there is still a bounty That's for right. jingles. So yep. we we also know that we have pups from areas where there's been a big Hunting, you know, a push for for hunting and for scalping of dingoes to to get this bounty, which we, again, we know isn't working for foxes or for dingoes. And yet, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars are being forked out to kill these animals.
0: Um, And and it doesn't work because, as I understand it, all the populations, whether you're talking about dingoes or foxes, um, whether you're baiting, trapping, poisoning... They that will actually create a vacuum, is that right? yeah, and, and create, create increased, and
1: ultimately create increased breeding. So I don't know the exact number in dingoes, but in foxes, for example, it's estimated that it's about fifty seven to sixty two percent that you have to kill in one area to cause the population to decline. and you would have to do that continually year after year to cause the population to go into decline. Figures on recreational hunting, for instance. Um, that I know of stated that about 14% of foxes Mm -hmm. in an area might be killed. And so all that's going to cause is a whole lot of animal death and suffering without actually causing any population decline. And for foxes, not all females breed, and it's the same for dingoes as well. So when you actually, assuming you do manage to kill the breeding female what you can actually cause is a population eruption where those foxes then go off, split into their separate groups and all breed subsequently mm. to fill that void um, because of that fragmentation of the social group. And um, and so you can actually see an increased population um, immediately after a large amount of hunting or baiting in a particular region. So it can have a, a negative effect. But ultimately, if the food supply is still there... Foxes are a widespread animal. They're just going to replace that population. It's it's not as though we're talking about an island here. There are foxes in neighbouring areas that are going to move in to fill that niche. And other animals will breed more, again, to to occupy that ecological niche that exists and that food supply that's already there.
2: It it begs that... Famous quote, doesn't it? That's the definition of insanity: doing the same thing over and over and again and expecting a different result.
1: Yeah, and we've and, and not not learning from it. And there's so much data now that shows that this isn't working. And there's government data, and yet we continue to hand out money for the bounty. We continue to hand out toxic poison um, to people with very little training or expertise. Um, <laughs> mm. We're handing out, yeah of substance that's banned in most of the world and we're giving it out like candy so that people can drop it from planes and yep. kill everything in yep.
2: Farmers can do a, literally a two-hour course and become accredited.
1: Yeah, to use a Schedule, what did you say? Schedule, schedule 7, seven yeah. yeah. Yeah, World Health yeah.
2: Organisation rates it as a, a, a level 1, which is, on, on their scale, that's the highest.
1: Yeah, it just, it does. It feels like, insanity, it feels like something that should be in a dystopian sci-fi Novel, doesn't it? Um, And and all it causes is massive suffering and animal death. Absolutely. Very little actual physical result.
2: Yeah, and, and if people are in any doubt about its toxicity, this is a chemical that is registered on the Australian government's own website of chemicals of terrorist concern. Now, that's not to say that there's going to be groups of people out there who want to, you know, disperse it on subways or anything like that. But what it means is that this is a... A chemical that is rated so highly toxic, not just mm. to non-human animals, but it is of grave concern to the health of human beings mm. as well.
1: Absolutely, and and we're still yeah dropping it where it can end up in waterways and people's backyards, as though, um, yeah, as though it didn't carry this incredible health risk and weight. And again, if we're talking about government websites, it's rated as causing certainly in New South Wales um, moderate to extreme suffering is what they show on their matrix of the type of humane control methods. And and they are themselves, New South Wales government, saying that here is a a poison that causes to animals moderate to severe suffering and we're still legally allowed to use it. Mm.
0: Um, And it's not getting the desired outcomes in the long term, whether you're talking environmentally, um, yeah. No, I mean, it's this quick
1: fix solution so that the agricultural industry can feel as though they are doing something to protect their monetary interests and at the same time their monetary interests are another non-native species that does damage to the environment so it's all very counterintuitive
0: okay well charlie we better let you go
1: all right, yeah. no worries. Well, look, thanks for so much for having me on. Um, I'm going to go and <laughs> recuperate and um, <laughs> your- and get the animals sorted after <laughs> City to Surf. It never kind of ends here. We have 46 dingoes on site at the moment, and then our 14 foxes, and and my partner also had some rescue rabbits, and we have a little rescue rat at the moment as well. So the shelter's always flat
0: out. Well, thank you so much for joining us again and, and have a, a lovely afternoon with all no your be- worry. beautiful you. species. No worries. Thank And if people
1: do want to follow along or, or find out more about our rescue and our animals, they can find us on Facebook under Sydney Fox Rescue or Sydney Dingo Rescue. We have two, two pages and we're on Instagram as well.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Charlie. Fantastic. See you later. Bye. Great
2: talking with you, mate.
0: You too. We're just going to have a quick tune break, uh, Wild Animals by Cat Empire, and then we're back and Andy's going to talk about the 1080 Summit. <laughs> You are on 3CR 855 AM, the Freedom of Species show, and fading out there is Wild Animals by Cat Empire. Uh, In the studio with me today is Andy Medic from the Animal Justice Party, who is going to tell us about the 1080 Summit that he's coordinated, happening in two weeks. Um, But we'll just recap. We were talking to Charlie Jackson-Martin of um, Sydney Dingo and Fox Rescue before that tune, and we'll just recap Um, 1080 Poison, is used everywhere, national parks, uh, pastoral areas, um, to kill what we deem as pest species, and that includes uh, predominantly wild dogs, and that means we kill our apex predator, the dingo, in doing that, and we take away their very important role in the ecology, um, and we kill foxes, cats, whatever means. But there's overwhelming evidence that it actually is a... It's not a great way of managing any population um, because it creates more of a a population increase with the pest species you want to get rid of, so to speak, uh, for next year. But also, what is most important, because we're an animal advocacy show here, it's an extremely cruel way to die, taking two to four days to suffer excruciating pain to Mm. your death. Andy, um, we were speaking before that this campaign that you've started to ban 1080 has the support of many people, yeah, including farmers, ecologists, animal advocacy people, RSPCA. That's right. I mean, across the board. Uh, yeah? Absolutely.
2: Look, it, it's, it's extremely rare that you you come across a, a particular topic. When, when you're involved in, 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 in animal rights and animal welfare, for instance, and, and, and animal-related politics, and I think this goes across the board in any other thing as well. There's there's a lot of the times it's it's very centred. There's a, a specific issue, and the people that are involved in that issue are the ones that are driving it. And and there's not necessarily a load of commitment from other groups outside of that in the community. This is a, a an issue that draws support in in banning it and in and and draws outrage from vast sections of the Australian community. And I think it's because when we look at it as the base subject of how cruel this poison is, that people... Human beings around the world, not just in Australia, Australians consider themselves very fair and and very, you know, humane people, you know, but that's the same across the board. You speak to Americans, you speak to people from Europe and different countries. Most people consider themselves to be, when they they want to deal with animals, they want to deal with animals in what they term a, a humane way, no matter what that is. And they deem that certain things are extremely cruel. And that is where the support for banning this poison is coming from. It's coming from that perspective, is that... You're right, farmers. There's there's farmers as politicians, there's who, people who are
0: brave enough to speak out, mind uh, you, absolutely,
2: yeah. yeah. They they those guys that have spoken out, they've been canned mercilessly from some areas of their own communities sometimes. Um, you know, an example um, is Paul Anderson up in Queensland, you know, this is a guy who's lost around sixteen dogs and he started the Facebook page Australians against ten eighty poison and this is a poor guy who's been hammered by his local community because he speaks out against something that they're in favour of using. And it's an appalling situation. And that is happening to other farmers across the board. You know, I, I, Western region of Victoria, um I, I travel extensively and I, I get the opportunity to speak to to farmers who have tried alternative methods, you know. And in some instances, you know, that it, it their their neighbors, um, you know, their friends who've been in favour of poisoning in the past uh, look at what they're doing and go, well, okay, well, and then we'll have a crack at that. We'll, we'll, we'll try the same sort of thing. And invariably they find that it works for them. Um, but others just outright, you know, they, they they view them almost as like traitors to the cause almost, you know. Um,
0: because it's in it's a, bag of, um, a bag of, you know, well, horrors really, that we call pest control. Absolutely. Um, so it's part of their arsenal and that's mm. how they that their culture, they've just got to kill the unwanted pests and in the short term it kills. Mm. So it creates a dead carcasses. Oh, it's
2: extremely efficient so it's at efficient. doing what it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So
0: why though, because there's so much um, support really that you find about to ban 1080, why are we still using it? Is it just for the, the monetary push it
2: that's a great question. I've gone down that rabbit hole so many times. I, I, I look at it and go, okay, is it because there's uh, a vested interest from some business that has connections to government for instance you know um you know it's often talked about in other areas that people have great connections with you know with politicians and and that they're able to get things done Mm. as a as a a result of that um and i've gone down that road and i i must confess i can't find any connection where someone's like you know there's no brown paper bags full of cash being (laughs) passed under the table or anything like that 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 i've know of um uh, and then I've 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 gone down the path of well you know it's you know it the only look the only conclusion that I can possibly see is that these animals come into contact um, and in uh, competition with in many ways um, the desire of the large part of the agricultural community that wants to make money out of agricultural animals. Mm. Anything that gets in the way of that can be deemed as a need has develops a need to be eradicated as part of a, a part of that system.
0: Yeah, and any arsenal to eradicate then is accepted. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's
2: yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And it's interesting actually because I was I I had the um the pleasure, of, if you want to call it that, of of seeing kangaroo again the other night, and and the, it it struck me that there's this footage of these amazing creatures that are bounding across this enormous area of open plains and then there's cuts to the footage of the farmer there and he's saying that you know look the damage they're doing to the land look at this paddock you know it's it's absolutely ruined you know look at it it's dry it's a dust bowl that's kangaroos for you and then right behind him he's got a few thousand sheep penned in running around in this enormous dust cloud and not even considering the fact that kangaroos are a soft-footed animal. Australian marsupials are there for a reason and they protect the environment. They are part of it. Australia does not have any native cloven-footed animals. Sheep destroy land. They tear it up just the same way that cattle do. And he had these thousands of sheep penned into a confined area and didn't see... You know the the irony of of yeah. what he was saying versus what he's saying kangaroos are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just incredible.
0: Yeah. So the amount of land that we have that we've penned off for animal agriculture far mm-hmm. outweighs. Yep. Um, yeah.
2: Yep. And and anything and anything
0: else and anything to take away the um, blame as it were on us that we are actually the pet species. Oh, absolutely. We, we, we choose to eat meat, so we ch- and. You know, export. Mm-hmm. So let's use all this land for this, and then blame everything else outside of that, mm-hmm. or just get rid of it. That's going to take away our yield. Yep. Yeah, yeah, oh, and
2: and that's and, it. And that's that's the the only. Logical, if you like, conclusion that I can come to. Come yeah, to that, yeah. th- these animals are coming into conflict with th- their ability to to make that happen. yep
0: yeah. let's get to the summit, Andy. You've got some great speakers lined up. We do. Wow,
2: th- this has been in the planning for a long time. Yeah, from yeah. our perspective, um, and uh, it's going to be held on Saturday, the twenty fifth of August, uh, at seven pm. At uh, the doors open at six thirty at the ACMI Theatre. Uh, at Federation Square in Melbourne, it's a fantastic venue. Um, wonderful, um, we're so lucky to have them come on board with us and, and provide the venue there. Um, our speakers, um, Philip Wallen, Order of Australia, he will be uh, a wonderful philanthropist. Um, puts gets his his money and his time behind so many great causes to do with animals. Um, he is going to be introducing the summit for us.
0: That's pretty good if you've got the Phil Wallen pour of approval. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know,
2: he's an extraordinary, he's an extraordinary man, and, and much love to Philip today and to Trix as well. I must say, I send all our love going their way, um, and. We're doing the summit, we're holding it in, in kind of a, um, a hybrid situation and it's being held almost like a, a conference where there'll be presentations and some videos shown. But we're also combining it with like an ABC style, if you like, Q&A. Um, there will be audience questions um, that are thrown at the panellists um, and they'll have the opportunity to answer them from their particular perspective, from their particular area of expertise. So with that in mind, our moderator, our Tony Jones, if you like, is Linda Stoner, who has been an animal rights campaigner across the country, predominantly in New South Wales, but across the country ever since I can remember. I mean, I mean, remember watching, you know, shows like Cop Shop and that sort of thing on television, you know, and back <laughs> in the day. And, and she was involved in animal rights way back then, and, and it continues to be so, so we're extremely lucky to have her come. Um, from a legal perspective, we have Marilyn Nusky, animal rights lawyer, who is, to my knowledge, the only person to have brought a case uh, on behalf of an animal interest group against a government, and that is the Queensland state government on behalf of Save Fraser Island Dingoes, and One, It's an extraordinary feat in itself. Um, so she will be presenting and then taking questions on. Um, you know, the, the 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 thing of, like, toxic trespass, um, you know, toxicity to human beings and, you know, the duty of care, the precautionary principle, all those sorts of things from a legal perspective and what the responsibilities of government are, those responsibilities that they are actually shirking at the moment. And then one of the one of the biggest, and we were, I was amazed that we were actually able to get this guy. I mean, a great deal of Australians would have watched the documentary Poisoning Paradises, a New Zealand film by the Graff brothers. Um, it's won four International Environmental Awards, Environmental Documentary Awards, and Clyde Graff, the senior brother amongst those, he'll be coming over and he'll be on the panel and he'll be presenting as well.
0: Yeah, so Poisoning Paradise was about 1080 being used in New Zealand. Yep. Yeah.
2: yep. And and as we touched on earlier, Australia and New Zealand use over 95% of the world's production. And aerial baiting is the preferred method in New Zealand. There's not much of it, anything else that goes on with it. And being... Um, you know, the, the islands that they are when you're using 1080 in that respect, you know, there's not great tracts of land for this to be able to be dispersed over. It's highly concentrated in, in very, very small areas and has a devastating effect on their native wildlife as well. Mm. And then we also have Nick Papalia, very outspoken anti 1080 campaigner from Western Australia, um, absolutely. Uh, indefatigable. He will not be deterred from having this poison banned in Australia and when we're lucky to have him, he'll be coming over um, along with Alan Yegini-Quartermain, Quatermain, is a tribal elder from Western Australia, um, whose totem in, in his clan is the dingo and they've nearly seen that animal wiped out in their areas to the poisoning. Um, so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get people from all around the country and internationally, so to assemble a panel of people from with different experiences from all over the place. Um, it would have been really easy for us to just grab people from locally, you know, because the, the experiences are there, but it, we need to show... This is a national summit. We need to show that there is concern right across the board. Um, so in keeping with that, we do have Victorian. we have um, Dr Mel Browning, who's an environmental scientist, who will go through what 1080 poison actually is, its, its componentry, um, its effects on the environment, its effects on the on the species, what the actual, you know, the, the effects, the physical effects as well as the environmental effects and a few other bits and pieces as well. I mean, she's way more qualified to speak about that line of things than I am, that's for sure and certain. And to top it off, we will then have John Marsh, who is a gentleman from New South Wales, extraordinary man who has devoted his almost his entire life to being a conservationist, animal rescuer and carer up there. Um, he has worked with just about every single state government, every single, single state government body, every NGO, every conservation group in New South Wales surrounding 1080 poison and its uses over the years up there. And again, we're really lucky to have him, and I'm really looking forward to meeting John. And, and, and we've had some great phone conversations, and I'm really looking forward to meeting him in person. Yeah. And, and for that that perspective that he brings, um, so we've we've put this massive panel together of, of all the different experiences, and. We're also um, we're drawing people, our audience is coming from all over the country as well. We've got people coming down from Queensland, we've got people from Tasmania, um, there's a group of guys in New Zealand who are trying to club together and get the airfares to come over and, 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 and be there as well. And, and while these people won't be presenting, um, they... Uh, again, they're from different backgrounds. Some of these people are farmers and some of them are, you know, people like like, like bankers, like office workers and, and all sorts of different people who've got the same concerns. And and like we were saying before, you know, you, you don't have to be living on the land to be concerned that there is a poison out there that is so highly toxic and highly cruel that, you know, you're allowed to have a, 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 an opinion and to have that banned.
0: I think it's... Um yeah I think it's really important to become educated in this area mm. um, and you've put together these people uh, for a couple of hours. I think it is through, yep, that's yeah, right. yeah. The tickets are only sixteen dollars fifty
2: that's right that includes the booking fee.
0: All those people in the one place mm-hmm. for an issue that can become very fragmented in itself, talking about it yep. um, it's a it's going to be a fantastic event to like really become educated from those people with such experience
2: absolutely so shameless plug here if you yep. go on to um, the the Facebook page this is how you get your tickets go to the Facebook page so log on to Facebook. Look for AJP's National 1080 Summit and just under the banner there's a number of subject headings and it says tickets available, sticky tickets, right? Just click on the link for sticky tickets mm-hmm. and it'll take you to their website and you'll be able to book your tickets. They're $15, dollars 16 50 with the booking fee. Yeah. Now, the theatre holds 350 people. Now, to date, we've only got two weeks to go and 93 tickets are sold. And yet there are over 800 people who are interested in going. So my plea is to all of those people, please buy your tickets and do it now. Get in early. Look, there will be some tickets available on the door, but we're hoping that we we don't really want to see that situation, right? The the venue is costing us a certain amount of money. All we're trying to do here is to cover the cost Mm. so that when it comes to election time here in Victoria and when the federal election is held next year, we're not going to be financially um, at a disadvantage because we've spent money on this, this summit that we can't recoup. All we're looking for is for you guys to... The people out there to support the summit, come along, find out about the poison, if what you don't know, find out how you can get involved, and to take it forward. We're going to take this forward as an election issue. This is a campaign that I've been... Uh, as you mentioned earlier at in the introduction, you know I've, I've had this be in my bonnet for a long time now... And I intend to keep running this as an election issue at state and federal, every opportunity that I get. And the voices are becoming louder and there's more of them and we want them there at the summit. We want all these people here. We've invited politicians here in Victoria from across the board. We invited the Premier, the Honourable Daniel Andrews, James Molino, the Deputy Premier, Jala with the Environment Minister. We've invited every single... Labor politician from the government side that we could possibly think of that may have some way for us to get a wedge in the door there. And we included their opposite numbers right in the coalition. Mm. All of them have declined. Interestingly, we do have one high-profile politician who has decided to get behind us, who will be in the audience at the summit, and that is Senator Darren Hinch. Excellent. So this is an opportunity for people to, after the summit, to, to chat with the Senator, to find out his perspective on 1080 poison. And he, let me just say, in conversations that I've had with him, he is as dedicated as we are to see this poison banned. And And that is what we need. We need sitting parliamentarians to not shirk this issue, be they in opposition or be they in government, State, federal level, I don't care. I can get them in private conversations to agree that this is a, a terribly cruel poison, but we cannot get them to even turn up to a summit.
0: I think you hit on a really good point there. The voices are getting louder, but also we if you live in the city, this is a big issue for us. Mm-hmm. Because seriously, for example, if you're thinking of going camping with your beloved companion dog even not camping mm. maybe going for a walk in Geelong somewhere yep. a, alongside parkland that's been baited yep talk it's a, it, we may be subjecting our dogs i speak to more and more people to the risk of picking up one of these baits if you, you go camping and there's no way of really knowing like can you if you're going camping or wanting to go somewhere with your companion animal is there a way that you can find out oh they're baiting in that area but even if you do find out where they're baiting Well, baits may be picked up and put somewhere close to the campsite that your dog will
2: get. Absolutely. Look, there there are requirements, as we were talking with Charlie before, there are requirements that the APVMA put out, and some of those things are that, you know, baiting programs are supposed to be advertised in local papers. Now... I pose the question to people, when they pick up their local paper and they look at the local government, they're flipping through, they're seeing the headlines, they're looking at you know, the, the car accident that might have happened here or you know, um, this particular government minister is down and they're handing out a couple of million dollars for a community centre or something like that. And then there's a local government notices page. Now, 99.9% of the population will just flick straight past it because they're not interested in what's going on. Right? in from that perspective, you know, it's like they see the shire or whoever's there, you know, oh, you know, what are they doing? Oh, don't care. You know, and those notices, that's where they appear. Okay. Okay? Now, so most people, generally speaking, won't know that a baiting program is taking place. Signs have to be put up around the area that is being baited for the period of the baiting. Right, Stating that, the period, stating what's being used, stating the risk the contact phone number of people to get in touch with, emergency numbers, you name it, everything, right? And they have to surround the baiting area. Problem is that you won't know that that area is being baited until you get there. I did the exercise about 18 months ago. I had two days up my sleeve during the week and I rang the Melbourne office of the APVMA and I asked them a the question, so how many baiting programs are taking place in Victoria right now and where are they? And the gentleman on the other end of the phone, as helpful as he was trying to be, could not tell me of even one because that's not their role. Okay, so then I tried Parks Victoria who told me that they don't keep a register of how many programs are taking place. I would have to contact every single office, like, you know, every single rural office or everywhere they are to find out how many programs that individual group was running and where they were situated. And I went through the same exercise with Landcare Victoria and I went through every other, you know, government-associated organisation that conducts these programs. There is... And I rang then back the APVMA and I didn't speak to that gentleman. I spoke to a lady there and I said, don't you find that really disturbing that... Here we have a Schedule 7 poison that is banned around the world for its insane cruelty, its high rate of toxicity and danger to human health. We have literally thousands of programs of baiting across the state at any given time, and no one knows exactly how many there are or where they are because there's no central registry for a poison that is of terrorist concern, right? This was, I was absolutely gobsmacked that there is no such thing. Anyone who wanted to travel into any area should be able to go, okay, there's a risk of poisoning, okay, fantastic, I'll just ring the register, a central number, and say, okay, well, I'm going into the Grampians, Um, are there any programs taking place because I want to take my dog? And they'll say, well, they should be able to say, oh, yeah, what area of are the you are you going into? Oh, blah, blah. Right, okay, well, there's a program here, but there's not there. If you go to this camping ground, you should be okay. That should be a resource that's available to everyone. If we're going to use this poison, and trust me, I'm...
0: Which we're not. We're not. We're not
2: advocating that at all. We want it gone. But if you... Are a government, if you are in, in, in saying that we're going to advocate and use this poison, then you have a moral and, in my opinion, a legal responsibility to keep a register of such a dangerous product so that people know where it is.
0: Beautiful. Guys, please get on to the sticky, tippets, the sticky tickets yep. page and buy your ticket or just support this summit because it's only $15. Even if you can't get there, buy the tickets Mm -hmm. and support this um, campaign to ban 1080. It doesn't matter what you think about, whether population control needs to happen, whatever you think about different species, 1080 is an awful way to kill any living being. Let's just start there. Ban that stuff. There are plenty of alternatives um, that people are already using um, and or... If they feel it necessary to use. So, thank you so much, Andy, for coming in today. It sounds like a fantastic lineup. So glad Linda Stoner is moderating with her huge experience mm. with this issue. And because I know she also deals with a lot of the pig, pig dogging campaign, hunting oh, yeah. dogs that are causing mm-hmm. a lot of. Um, awful damage up in northern Queensland. So it's great. You've got some fantastic heads of knowledge there. So i look forward to it. Thank you so much.
2: My pleasure. And thanks for having me in and thanks again to Charlie for, for ringing in as well.
0: Absolutely. We are going to go to Encyclopedia. We're running very late. See you next week. Nick Printergast has Beth Allen on the show talking about um, sexism within animal advocacy. Mm. Sounds great. See you next week. Bye, guys. Here's Encyclopedia.